This is a Rooster Teeth production. Sometimes the most dangerous place to be in the Victorian era was in your own home. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we cover topics, people, places, history, and events of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. Carrie Poppy, writer, host of Ono Ross, and fellow morbid enthusiast, was living in an ADU in Sherman Oaks, a suburb of Los Angeles, when she began to experience strange feelings and sensations in her home. ADU stands for Additional Dwelling Unit and is like a back house or smaller guest house that somebody might build on their own property for family members or rent out. So yeah, things started to get a little bit weird for Carrie. She was hearing voices and felt as if an unseen force was in her home with her, watching her waiting. Soon, this feeling transformed into physical pain. She went home and cried every night. Carrie turned to therapy and other alternatives, but it was no use. Quickly, paranoia set in, and Carrie's imagination ran wild. I do not blame her. She could not shake the feeling of this general overwhelming dread, so much so that it started to consume her. And she wondered if perhaps what she was actually experiencing was something supernatural? What if her house was haunted or possessed by a demon? Thank God we live in the information age because Carrie started poking around online, going directly to the ghost hunting forums. And it was there that she found information that probably saved her life. And it's not because there was a ghost or a demon, but it was because some generous online folks told her that all the symptoms she was experiencing were the very same that someone living with a toxic gas leak could suffer from. Sure enough, that was the culprit. Turns out Carrie was slowly being poisoned by a carbon monoxide leak, which was responsible for her unusual feelings and auditory and sensory delusions. It's very scary, very real, and also just because it could happen to any one of us. And what happened to Carrie isn't all that uncommon. And there's a term coined to describe this phenomenon. It's called haunted house syndrome. This experience dates back to the 19th century when a number of toxic chemicals were introduced into households and to -to day-to-day life. Yep, exposure to and chronic use of toxic chemicals had a direct correlation to the rising number of reported ghost sightings at home and domestic hauntings. Uh Uh-oh, surprise, surprise. Surprise! (laughs) Basically, a lot of Victorian ghost stories can be explained away by gas lamps, carbon monoxide, arsenic, and other substances that were getting people high and warping their minds without their knowledge. And not in the good way, Jess. Not the good highs. (laughs) But today we have advanced instruments, alarms, and gadgets that can detect high levels of poison or contaminants in our dwellings. We've got smoke detectors, carbon monoxide detectors, you name it. This isn't even fancy technology. You know, we all have it in our homes. It's pretty commonplace, especially if you're living in a new construction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that definitely was not the case in the Victorian era. The common person didn't fully understand all the new fangled technology that they were using and certainly didn't have the means to detect high or abnormal levels of toxicity in their home. No, it was all kind of like honor system. (laughs) Like, I don't think anything in here is killing me. And I'm just going to go with that. There was also an absence of regulation and safety standards, just 
across the board, which didn't bode well in a time of booming innovation and industrialization, and was just a big recipe for disaster, given that we as human beings, like Jess said, we get really, really excited about new technology, and then we just use it haphazardly, caution to the wind, without really knowing the consequences. It generally isn't until, you know, people start to die or get injured that regulations and restrictions come into play. So the Victorians were unwittingly living in just these death traps and using products in their day-to-day lives that were slowly micropoisoning them. Or making them hallucinate and see ghosts like Carrie. Mm-hmm. Today on 30 Morbid Minutes, we are talking about some of these new substances and inventions of the time which were also kind of the hidden and unknown killers of the Victorian era. These substances include gas, lead, arsenic, formaldehyde, mercury, and can be found in products like children's toys, beauty products, wallpaper, food. Yes, food. Mm -hmm. I feel like the Victorians, you know, crawled so we could walk. (laughs) When it it came to all this, like, (laughs) you know what I mean? That is very, very astute. And I think that you put that in the most, like, positive spin. (laughs) Because they definitely were so thrilled to have all these new advancements. I mean, wouldn't you be if you were kind of coming from a time of where you didn't have any comforts in your home and now you're exposed to so many Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, even present day, we still struggle with some of the chemicals in our own home and cleaning. You know, it, it's even though we've made absolute great advances, it's still. Oh, you know, yeah. It's still there. We'll probably someday do a whole episode about the toxins that we live among. Oh, yeah. That we use and are poisoning us. Absolutely. <laughs> and all the microplastics that are just, you know, in our bodies and there's no way to get rid of them. Yeah. But anyway, (laughs) Um, but when we talk about the Victorian era regionally, we're talking about, you know, the United Kingdom because Queen Victoria, Uh but some of what we will be discussing happened in other places too. And so much of what we're talking about can be traced to the growing social mores of the time period and the swell of Victorian domestic ideals, which went hand in hand with this rise in conspicuous consumption. This simply means that for the first time in history, the common person was buying a lot of products and measuring their quality of life by their home and what they physically possessed. You know, the old cleanliness is next to godliness adage. Yep. It was what you had that made you who you were and gave your family standing and social status, which was kind of always the case. But now it was like the common person was more focused on making their home life feel comfortable. And a lot of this could be attributed as well to the advent of household guides and magazines, which introduced the concept of keeping up with the Joneses and living the perfect domestic life. So think like you're scrolling through your Instagram feed and you're seeing people presenting these perfect visions of their lives. That was kind of these guides at the time, the equivalent (laughs) of like you look at this guide and be like, I need to have this. Oh, God. Yeah. In our first episode, Death and Superstition of the Victorian Era, we mentioned um, Castle's Household Guide, one of the more popular guides of the time. Mm -hmm. And this book showed mainly the lady of the house how to style her home according to the fashionable tastes of the time. It was like one step away from mail order catalogs. Mm. 
So as people pursued these ideals, that meant having all the new comforts and inventions, one of which was gas. (laughs) Now, if having (laughs) gas is a sign of status, then we are elite, Jessica. God, I wish. (laughs) Uh, I definitely wish, but not that kind of gas. We can't even burp. I don't know why I wrote this (laughs) joke. We can't even burp either of us. I know. Absolutely not. And that, you know, not to get vulgar, but. I make myself air vomit. But anyways, (laughs) um, no, we're talking about good old natural gas, the kind that can create heat and light in the home, which I wish my own bodily gas could. <laughs> oh, God, we'd be millionaires. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes, of course, that kind of gas. How could I be so pedantic, pedestrian? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the gas you would use to light your wall lamps, your stove, heat a room, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, the kind that could seep into your home, unbeknownst to you, filling it, and with the light of a match, send the whole place up in flames. Yep, yep, that kind. Gas was this major new invention, and it brought a lot of advancement. However, the dangers were not known at the time, or at least not fully understood. People would suffocate from gas leaks, and explosions weren't uncommon. And part of that was by design. Gas companies advertise their product and services with untruthful safety claims, not warning folks that filling their houses with gas could prove lethal. Come on. The dollar was the bottom line and there weren't any regulations. So they could advertise these in such a way where they didn't have to worry about people's safety. And Mm -hmm. there was a major proliferation of companies at this time, too, and an overwhelming supply, which meant that there was a lot of pressure on these businesses to provide the lowest cost to consumers and, you know, compete with each other. As such, they started doing these really unscrupulous activities to undercut and sabotage their respective competitors. Savage. Mm -hmm. Some companies would even reduce their own supply at night, which meant that if you had a gas lamp lit in your home and left them lit overnight, that there was a chance that this reduced flow wouldn't be enough to keep the flame alight, causing the lamps to eventually flicker out. Mm -hmm. And here's where the danger happens, because the gas is still flowing despite not feeding a flame, and it's silently seeping into your home while you slept, which ultimately would lead to suffocation. No breathing. A real Papa Roaching, as it were. <laughs> I thought you were going to like continue with that. <laughs> I thought I was like, okay, here she goes. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, would you man. beatbox for me? I would totally. A hundred percent. Ready? Here we go. No, I'm just <laughs> well, maybe stay tuned for a yeah, laugh for the episode. For the end. I came across this story from September 14th, 1889 in the New York Times about this young woman, Alice. She's in her 20s and she lived with her pet parrot. And a lot of people that worked in her home and stuff, they just thought this was a really evil parrot anyway. (laughs) Like they thought he was a bad omen. They called him the devil. And apparently this parrot had an addiction to huffing gas. Oh my God. Yeah. He would do this thing (laughs) where he would pull the tips off of gas burners and inhale it because it quote unquote stupefied him. Like he was a total gas junkie. This is fantastic. And the sad part is that one night Alice was sleeping and in her home and the parrot goes and does this, he goes on a gas debauch, as it were. And the gas, he leaves the gas seeping into the home all night as he's getting high. And then her family doesn't hear from her for a few days. So they go to investigate what's happened to Alice and find her dead in her bed. And then this asshole parrot is like sticking his beak through the crack in the door, trying to breathe and survive. So God. yeah, it's awful, but Jeez. Her family calls the coroner and the coroner comes to, you know, take the body and investigate whatever. And apparently while the coroner is doing this, this bird, despite almost dying from this gas, he's trying to turn the gas on again. 
and they got to stop him. Like this parrot God. was insatiable. This, I, I just, you know, visualize this entire thing. I love that you call it just this asshole parrot bird. Because I mean, parrots can be assholes. He yeah, a he's a bird. Yes, I and say, was addicted to drugs. Jessica, to you gas. Be, do you have a gas stove? I do. <gasps> you got to watch that Nina the turtle isn't turning I know. those knobs on to get high. I know. It's just, it's going to be Nina the turtle doing it. Yep. <laughs> No, but that's so crazy. Yes, gas was truly a a silent, invisible killer, but it could, you know, be very bombastic and deadly, especially in the kitchen. Yeah, these pre-gas stoves and chimneys, they had, a, you know, a release to release pressure and ventilation, but then new tech like radiators and these hot water sealer units, they had a ton of pressure buildup with very few options for release. And so if you had a faulty or a malfunctioning valve, it could cause a massive explosion. Mm. There's an unusually high amount of art on the internet of of women flying through kitchens in the Victorian era, sent into the air by a <laughs> gas explosion. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Which but. my there's so much of it. It's like why is there so much of this? And my one request, I we have some very very kind and generous fans of the show that do fan art. Please draw Jessica and I flying through the air uh, by a gas explosion. I beg. You. I would love it. I would love it. Except like, of course, my first thing was just like you farting or something okay. and me being blown away by that. Jessica, I know. I know. I just can't stop. Please. Anyway, there's no room for <laughs> joking on this podcast. <laughs> well, toward the end of the Victorian era, ta-da, electricity made its grand debut, which caused a whole new onslaught of problems, especially as gas and electric started to intertwine in the home. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the 1920s that any safety regulations started to actually develop. Yeah, and electricity was a horse of a different color, and newspapers of the time were full of accounts of people electrocuting themselves. And the horrors of these risky, untested inventions, I came across an electric tablecloth where <laughs> <laughs> you had this tablecloth and had wires running through it and you could plug lamps directly into it, which like if you spilled any liquid on it is just a recipe to get, you know, burnt to a crisp. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. Like, like gas, another silent yet deadly killer in the home was arsenic. And it might be surprising to hear, but arsenic is used in home decor. Yeah. And this was a byproduct of a couple things. So we mentioned earlier the emphasis on designing the ideal home and two, the fact that gaslighting made your home more visible. And that sounds mm -hmm. so silly, but since people now had actual lighting in their home yeah. and they could see the dark corners and recesses that they couldn't by candlelight, like mm -hmm. now they could vividly see all their walls and they were like, <laughs> I got to decorate this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, people got really into some wallpaper. Let really me tell into you. it. Good old wall. I love some wallpaper. The more intricate and patterned your wallpaper, the more it symbolized your status and taste. Uh, same with color. Castle's Household Guide had an entire chapter on wallpaper. I think anytime I think of wallpaper, even though like there are some times where I'm like, I'm going to cover my whole room with like a forest wallpaper. I just always seem so like weird, tacky and cheesy to me, even yeah. though it can be cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. And modern wallpaper. I think wallpaper is back now and we've improved mm -hmm. the technology so you can peel it and stick it. But I just think of like 80s, 90s wallpaper yes. where you are like and you have to take it off and you're soaking it to, to get it off. And it's just a whole yep. like nightmare. Yep. And it's, it was even worse. It was bad for us in the eighties. It was even worse back then. <laughs> but, uh, people went ham yeah. on just finding the coolest and most original wallpaper they could. And the color of that wallpaper was green. And why green? 
you might ask, because it's not easy being green, Jess, as a certain frog on a log would tell us. You know, that's a Kermit reference. Very true, Elise. But yeah, Castle's uh, household guide considered green to be an elite color, a color of repose, one of which caused the eye to experience a healthy and particularly grateful impression from this color. Yep. And the more vivid the green, the better. They really doubled down. In 1775, one man, Carl Wilhelm Scheele, he was able to cultivate a particular color of green that just became all the rage. And that green became known as Shields green. And it came to be used in all kinds of common household products like candles and children's toys, but it was used a ton in wallpaper. Mm, wallpaper sales were a booming. Over a stretch of 40 years, there was a 2,615% increase in the production of wallpaper rolls. Compare Yowza. 1 million pieces. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Compare 1 million pieces of wallpaper sold in 1834 to 32 million in 1874. Huge. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> but something <laughs> disturbing started to happen, Jessica. As wallpaper sales grew, so did the number of unexplained deaths and illnesses in the home. Ugh. Oh, man. Oh. Uh, what a correlation to have. And this yeah. was because Shields Green, the color of green that was so vivid, so sought after and coveted, contained large amounts of arsenic. Arsenic. That's how it got such a vibrant color. Mm -hmm. People were literally lining their walls with poison, microdosing themselves. Yeah. And whether you directly ingest arsenic or it enters your body by breathing it or contact with your skin or membrane, it can absolutely get into your bloodstream. The effects can be more drastic if you consume a substantial quantity in one sitting, um, but the effects are small doses, even over a short period of time, can be deadly. It wreaks havoc on a person's digestive system and tract. And like Jess said, like exposure over long term, it can cause nervous system, kidney damage, conjunctivitis, abnormal growths, even uh, vitiligo, a loss of pigmentation in the skin. Yeah. So Victorians were surrounding themselves with this wallpaper that would gradually off-gas and cover the inside of their homes in arsenic dust. And yeah, so like with the gas problem, ventilation was an issue here too. People generally kept their windows closed due to the overwhelming amount of smog outside and of course the weather in England. Yeah, people were living inside these hotbeds, which were also susceptible to fungal growth, given the cellulose in the wallpaper and how damp homes typically were. I mean, it's England after all. It's always raining. Yep. And there were reports of children flat out chewing on pieces of wallpaper and dying within hours. And even a story about a diplomat visiting Queen Victoria who fell ill overnight after staying in a room decorated with Shields green wallpaper. Victoria, Queen Victoria. But before the public realized the real dangers, people were already poisoning themselves slowly over time just without realizing. Mm -hmm. And when you got vague symptoms like those caused by arsenic poisoning, they might come and go over time or be tough to diagnose. And so you can't really figure out the causation, or at least they couldn't at the time. But before the public realized the real dangers, people were already poisoning themselves slowly over time just without realizing it. And when you've got vague symptoms like those caused by arsenic poisoning, they might come and go over time or be tough to diagnose, like making it very difficult to determine causation. This is like my nightmare, Jess, of like yeah. you're living in an environment that you don't realize 
is killing you. I hate you. it. Or you're uh-huh. eating something that you don't realize is killing you. Yep. And it wasn't until someone actually just up and left their home for an extended period of time that they kind of clued into the fact that their illness was caused by their surroundings. Yeah, there were reports of people traveling to the seaside for vacations where, guess what? Their illness would just magically be cured. Ugh. And once people started getting wise to this, doctors and the press called on the government to ban the use of Shields Green in products. And other European countries like Bavaria, Sweden, Germany, they all led the charge and did this, but Britain kind of resisted. The manufacturing companies were a driving force. Capitalism always prevails, right? Mm-hmm. Jess, you are absolutely right, and I cannot stress this enough. Please buy our T-shirts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, William Morris, whose designs you are probably familiar with, they're still on posters and art today. He and his, his company, they scoffed at the correlation at first. His arsenic mine produced the most arsenic of any mine in the world, so much so that it produced enough arsenic that could have killed the entire planet and every creature on it. <laughs> Yeah, this was a rare instance where public purchasing power, (laughs) public purchasing power had major influence. People stopped buying arsenic wallpaper, forcing manufacturers to change. And they did, ultimately coming out with new arsenic-free products. Mm -hmm. Which is good. I mean, I feel like we try to do that sort of thing today, you know, that consumer resistance where you're like, we're not going to use this product Mm -hmm. if we feel like it's, but it's tough because, you know, the bottom line. Yeah. Um, But the list of harmful chemicals in everyday Victorian products doesn't end here. Lead, which is still used in products around the world today, was heavily in use at the time, particularly in women's beauty items. So, yep. I mean, are we surprised by that, Jess? No, no, not, not, <laughs> no, not surprisingly, the pursuit of the feminine ideal was quite literally deadly. But before we get into that, we first have a word from our sponsors. Elise, you live in sunny LA. I live in sunny and very, very hot Austin, Texas. And what does that mean? Jessica, it means that you and I both need a pair of Shady Rays sunglasses. Shady Rays has the essentials you need to make summer complete. They offer an industry best combination of fit, style, and performance without the big brand price tag. And I can already tell you with my pair, I'm loving that these things, they go on your face, they stay put, they do not budge, they're comfortable. I love it. And they're really, really well made, right, Jess? Yes. And it doesn't stop at the quality. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection program in all of eyewear. Every pair is backed by lost and broken replacements. Lose or break a pair? Shady Rays has your back long after you purchase. Mm -hmm. Shady Rays also provides 10 meals to fight hunger in America with every order and have donated over 20 million meals to date. So you can look good in your shades and feel good by making an impact. If you don't Love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. Elise and I both got the Cypress pair and Sandstone and we love them and we're also twinsies. It's real cute and you can be cute too, like us. (laughs) (laughs) So exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code 30MM30MM for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Thank you, Shady Rays. I love shoe shopping online, but as you know, it can be a complete mystery. Is the sizing accurate? Are the shoes comfy as they look? 
Rafi's takes the guesswork out of shoe shopping with comfort right out of the box, plus super easy and free returns and exchanges. Some of Rothy's best sellers are The Point and The Flat. People Magazine even named The Point the best flat for their first ever Style Awards 2021. And aside from the point and the flat, Rothy's also makes insanely comfortable sneakers, loafers, ankle boots, and more. Their wide variety of styles are great for summer and fall, so you never have to worry about finding brand new shoes each season. I personally just ordered the slip-on sneaker in bright white, and I am counting down the days until they arrive. I will update you next time with our review. I'm absolutely going to get those shoes so we have the same shoes. Twins, I know. (laughs) I love getting the same things. Yes. So you, like Jessica, can solve the case of your next favorite summer shoe with Rothy's. Plus, get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash 30mm, 30mm. That's $20 off at R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash 30mm. Now, back to the show, we were talking about how women get the short end of the stick, Jess. Sure do, every time. (laughs) A common recurring theme on this podcast. Uh Um, But yeah, so lead used in women's beauty products. And lead, if a person is exposed to it in high or prolonged quantities, can attack the brain and the central nervous system, causing neurological damage, anemia, kidney damage, and can ultimately lead to death. Great. Um, Well, it was not uncommon to find on a Victorian woman's vanity tinctures and bottles containing lead-based creams and powders. Victorian beauty ideals didn't pull any punches, and popular guides at the time encouraged women to achieve a specific standard. Yeah, they also had some specific ideas about what they thought was beautiful, including the paler the skin, the better. Having like extremely white, white skin was a symbol of status and privilege because it indicated that the bearer lived a life of luxury and you weren't out toiling in the sun or working. You were at home, you know, just tending to your self and pleasantries. And so your skin was super, super pale. That, this would be you. You'd be... (laughs) Just a symbol of status, Elise. I would be. And privilege. <laughs> I would be. The, you would try to open the curtains and I would scream and hiss. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be thrown out on the street. <laughs> um, but yeah, so women coated their skin with these like lead-based white creams. And oh, the, you know, they also ate Dr. Rose's arsenic complexion wafers, mm-hmm. little chalk white biscuits that contain small amounts of arsenic and bathe in arsenic because, as we mentioned earlier, contact with this poisonous substance could cause a loss in skin pigmentation. I mean, I get a little what? bit- I get a little bit loosey-goosey when I'm hungry and I didn't eat breakfast today. And honestly, I, I mean, would I refuse a wafer at this point? Probably not. <laughs> Damn, dude, that's desperation at its finest. Yeah, so gosh, they ate trace amounts of arsenic and women would also paint themselves with these creams. And you had to try to remain expressionless because if you showed any emotion, you would crack your, because the paint like hardened and so, you know, caused cracks in it. Oh my God. To strip this makeup, women would use corrosive face washes containing other chemicals like ammonia that, when used in combination, could create scarring and horrible blemishes, which could lead to applying even more layers of toxic 
face paint all over your face. Yeah. So like their faces are cracking and bleeding and they're like, got to put more paint on to cover it. Got to be beautiful. Gosh, like one day we will dedicate an entire episode to all of these horrific techniques and beauty tips that Victorian women use because it only gets worse and worse the deeper that you get into it and the more nuanced. Yeah. yeah. Let me do the makeup on you though. <laughs> oh. So like I... Yeah, that oh, would yeah, probably work I guess best. That would be good research for us, I suppose. <laughs> no, 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 we need to. But yeah, women weren't the only group at high risk, right? Won't someone please think of the children, Jessica? Because children's toys were painted with lead paint. And then, you know, of course, these kids would put toys in their mouths. They'd lick them and the paint would flake off. And it didn't have a bad taste, so it wasn't a red flag for kids. Yeah, there's stories of people getting contact poisoning from wearing garments or clothing coated in the stuff. Uh-huh. In March 1882, a six-year-old girl died from wearing stockings that were colored with gold and brown dye made from celluloid, a cheap plastic that had been developed at the tail end of the century. When the girl wore these stockings, the celluloid dye bled out and absorbed into her skin, poisoning her. Mm -hmm. It was very flammable, and there are cases of women brushing their hair with celluloid-made combs, but standing too close to the fire, and their combs would spontaneously combust. What an image. Um, yeah. Wow. Draw, draw us. Draw. Yeah, I know. I'm just like, uh, yeah, I would love to see this art. Very morbid. Hmm. Anyway, in November 1902, a 14-year-old girl wore a paper mache mask at a Halloween party and the noxious dye that coated the mask melted as the girl perspired, seeping into an abrasion on her upper lip, causing her to get blood poisoning and die. And the horrors do not end there. Water traveled into the homes and the drinking supply via lead piping. And of course, everyone was put at risk due to the presence of lead and other such chemical compounds added to food. It's known as adulterating food. And it happened when food producers would try to make their food look more appetizing or high quality. And they did this with artificial coloring, which we still do now, but they used lead to do it. Daily staples like bread were altered with chalk, iron sulfate, and alum to pad out the ingredient list and to plump it up. Formaldehyde, which we tend to associate with embalming corpses, was added to milk if it started to sour because it had a slightly sweet taste and it would delay the spoiling process. It's just when, when you don't think it could get any worse, it just continues to get worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bottomless well of like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> you know, and there are so many toxic substances that were used and overused and like, it would take us forever to get into them all, but let's just do one more. Okay. <laughs> one more. Yeah. How about mercury? <laughs> Mercury is a good one. Yeah, Mercury's great. Yeah. Mercury is a chemical element also known as quicksilver, the only metallic element known to be liquid at standard conditions. Thermometers might come to mind when you think of it though. Yeah. Uh-huh. Prolonged exposure to mercury will result in poisoning and this can lead to disease and a whole slew of horrible symptoms and illnesses. Most of all, it acts as a neurotoxin, meaning it can affect your central nervous system and impair your cognition and your brain function. So it just kind of like, it is just um, like, you know, associated with insanity. Yeah, right? it's not great. Yeah, it causes mm -hmm. like seizuring, loss of motor skills, severe irritability, paranoia, um, obsessive behaviors, kidney damage and dysfunction, respiratory issues. I mean, take my word for it, it is uh, not good. At all. <laughs> yeah. Its most distinct side effect is driving a person mad. So we're talking like shakes, tremors, 
all out delirium, insomnia, hallucinations. You know the phrase mad as a hatter? Mm-hmm. Well, its genesis comes from the hat making industry and its ties to mercury poisoning. Yeah, I did not know this. Yeah, workers in hat manufacturing in the 18th and 19th centuries endured chronic exposure to mercury as mercurous nitrate was part of the felt curing process undergone to turn animal pelts into fashionable headwear. And everyone was just like, oh, the hatters are the eccentrics of the clothing trade. But no, it's not like because they were these avant-garde designers or anything. It's because they were literally poisoned and they might like just be drooling while they were working or talking to themselves. That's crazy. Like I did not know that. Yeah. Matt is a hatter. Like that's literally incredible how Mm -hmm. this happened and oh god but no but yeah Yeah. no it doesn't end there and like since the 16th century mercury was the primary and elective treatment for syphilis ingested and applied topically yeah which is a bit ironic when you consider that if left untreated syphilis can cause brain disease and the same kind of like you know delirium and severe cerebral deterioration at least least, you can't we just can't win them all you know? know i know we can't Yeah. And finally, this is kind of the most interesting part to me. There's this classic archetype of the lighthouse keeper. You know, Mm -hmm. we all think we've seen the movie The Lighthouse, Robert Pattinson, William Dafoe. But this idea of this lighthouse keeper that lives alone in seclusion on this remote rock and is driven to insanity by their isolation and solitariness. But what if there was more to it than that? Yeah. What if this tropey character could actually be chalked up in some cases to mercury poisoning? That's what some modern historians and scholars think, that lighthouse keepers in the 19th centuries, they were living on the, you know, in this small place and they had these massive spinning lens apparatuses that made the light flash on the water. And to keep it clean, some lighthouse keepers started floating those lenses in liquid mercury because it kept it clean and it helped it spin with less friction. Yes, but this meant the keepers were breathing in and constantly coming into contact with this concentrated poison. Yeah, I don't think it's like a 100% confirmed thing that this was all the causation, but I still think it's a really, really fascinating theory to posit. That's so interesting. Yeah. The Victorian Mm -hmm. era is like a bounty for morbid and macabre history, like full of behaviors and and attitudes that are extremely dangerous by modern standards. But really, like like I was saying earlier, I'm just kind of glad that I wasn't born in this time period because like we have learned a lot from this time period. Yeah. I mean, I think my star is every day that I was born after the invention of penicillin <laughs> Yes, in general. Yes. So, you know, and I'm sure it's the kind of thing where future generations are going to look back in horror at the things that we used every day Yep, in the 21st century and, and in our life. Like, we even look back 30 years ago and think like, man, what were, what were we doing? I keep thinking, I'm like, is plastic one of those things for us where people in the future are like these insane people? I think it will be. Yeah, plastic. Yeah, because we even look back at certain types of plastics, like cellulose that they used, uh, but even like BPA. Yep. um, Mm -hmm. You know, we look back at stuff now and we're like, what were were we doing? (laughs) And what are we still doing? (laughs) And, you know, yeah, now like in beauty products, obviously, I think we kind of look down at these products that the women used in this era. But even now, you know, there are beauty products that are still full of a lot of chemicals. Yep that we are using on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I think there are just also, there's a lot of moral stuff that we're going to look back on in terms of like, you know, yep. Yeah. How we, how we used what we did to the planet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you and I, we talked about this a little bit in in another episode, but just like, you you know, we're going to look back on how we poison the planet. Yeah. And I mean, 
you know, we're talking about like women's makeup and everything. Like, I mean, I think for most people now and, and, and makeup lines make it a point to be like, we don't test on animals anymore. Like mm-hmm. we did that for a while, you know, and I think yeah. some still do. And it's just, it's crazy where we've been yeah. and where we're going and, you know. But at least the Victorian era is an example of like, we saw it and, and kind of learned from it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's a win. Absolutely. Maybe. Um, and yeah, we we are back full swing for our third season. It's good to be Woo! back, Jess. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> super, super excited. I'm very excited for this season, especially because, you know, we're coming upon spooky season. Uh-huh. And the finale of this season times perfectly with the final week before Halloween. I know, right? Yeah. And and uh-huh. uh, which is yeah. What to expect, you know? The rise of the machines could artificial intelligence ever pose a threat to humanity? Mhm. That's a fun one. And in that last episode, that finale, we were talking about the evolution of Halloween, so like how it became a Celtic like harvest festival and then got appropriated by North America and now it's this big like consumer event but like it's it's even faster I love looking back at old Halloween costumes from throughout the 20th century mm-hmm. and you just look at kids in like the 1930s and their makeshift masks and stuff yeah those masks are very scary to me um oh, personally yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah well I get scared easily but anyway uh yeah talking about cte and what that's like um within athletes over the past few years and even today yeah that's that and that's still a very 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 topical thing it's still absolutely being worked Mm -hmm. on to this day uh we don't know if we have any answers but hopefully soon (laughs) yeah and we're gonna be looking into kind of the secrets and behind the scene processes of funeral homes and then just also looking uh forward at how the funeral industry is changing because it really is like pun intended, a dying industry. Yeah. Um, especially in its current iteration with millennials yeah. and such. So we're going to be talking about that and, and much, much more. Um, but in the meantime, if you're new to the show, like check out our backlog, it's all evergreen topics. You can go listen to any old episode at any time and it won't feel hopefully outdated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because we talk about topics that are, you know, always a, mm-hmm. a constant. Yeah, and also, you know, check us out on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Thirty Morbid Minutes. My personal is at Jessica Wasami, and Elise's is at Elise Willems. Mm-hmm. And if you share our show with friends and family, or subscribe, or leave reviews, all of that helps us and. Um, makes us feel very, very warm in our cold. Absolutely. And yes, please. And also so, sending us the, the art, you. loving, loving the art. Oh, so great. It's, yeah. it's a highlight. Yeah. Uh, Jessica, it's wonderful to be back. I'm together excited. Forever. We are here till the end, at least <laughs> together. And, and you know, some might even say death won't be the end for us. For better so. or worse. Yep. I mean, yep. I don't think I have any way to escape you. So I think I'm coming to terms with that. You don't, and you love it, you sicko. <laughs> You're a sicko. <laughs> no, you. Yeah, no, you are. No, you. No, you. No. We. No, we. 